Welcome to Wattcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. Well, recently I had the opportunity to visit Cuisine Solutions in Sterling, Virginia. Cuisine Solutions is the world's leading manufacturer of sous vide foods. Sous vide, French for under vacuum, is a method where foods are placed in a plastic pouch and then slow cooked in a water bath. This method is not only overtaking the restaurant industry, but also encouraging many home cooks to to prepare foods using this method. You can read my story about my visit to Cuisine Solutions on Woman Around Town. And you will notice that front and center in the article was A.J. Schaller, who I have to say is a walking encyclopedia on sous vide. A.J. is a 2005 graduate and former teaching assistant at the Culinary Institute of America. She worked at Restaurant Danielle and Danielle Baloud's Dynex Group for 10 years. After a series of promotions, she finished with the title Culinary Manager. The position included work on restaurant openings, testing recipes, cooking for events, producing cookbooks, food styling, and overseeing health department matters. In other words, she did a lot. In 2015, after a stint at CorkBuzz, she took the opportunity to work under Bruno Gustal for Culinary Research and Education Academy. At CREA, AJ assists in training chefs in sous vide and extraction, as well as managing consulting projects for a variety of food service establishments. I'm very excited to be speaking with her today. AJ, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. First of all, let me thank you for a wonderful presentation at Cuisine Solutions. It was a wonderful day learning so much about sous vide cooking and tasting all the wonderful varieties of food that you put together for us. Yeah, that was a really great day uh, for us as well. It's nice to share what we do with a broader audience and then show why sous vide is so great. Well, and I know we talked a little bit during the luncheon about your career, but we didn't really have an opportunity to do too much of that. So that's why I wanted to follow up with this interview. So let's begin with uh, where you grew up and went to college. Great. Yeah, so I grew up on the East Coast uh, in Frederick County, Maryland. Spent a little time in Tennessee um, and then finished high school back in Maryland and immediately went to the Culinary Institute of America, uh, upstate New York. So what was the first thing that you remember cooking, possibly as a child? I definitely remember holidays, because that's really fun. Um, And I always made cookies with my mom. We didn't do a lot of cooking from scratch at home, but we definitely made a point to keep the tradition of the cookies that you know, her mother used to make or my dad's mother used to make. So it was a tradition that we did every year. When did you first know that you wanted to pursue uh, a career in the culinary world? I mean, was that a big decision? I mean, did you think about that for a long time or did it just hit you one day that this is what you wanted to do? Well, I think it happened sort of organically. My mother was a nurse. And as a result of that, would sometimes have some crazy hours. She might work late evenings, which left it up to me and my sisters to cook dinner some of the nights. And I think I was really the only one that took to it. Um, I always had an interest in trying new recipes. I would 
dig through cookbooks and you know, this started in middle school and, you know, I enjoyed it. I didn't mind the, the messy part, but the cleanup. So actually my mom suggested to me that I could look at taking vocational classes while I was still in high school uh, for culinary arts. There was a program that you could do career-focused courses mm-hmm. in your junior to senior year. So I did that. So I can imagine that it's very competitive to be accepted at the uh, Culinary Institute of America, the CIA. Uh, what did you have to show to get uh, admitted there? Well, the CIA does have um, requirements that you have experience in a restaurant. So, you know, uh, fast food change and things like that, they don't really count. Um, if you're a waiter, that doesn't count either. You have to have had some experience in um, in the field, and I think it helped that I was also involved in competitions when I was in school, uh, meaning high school. So I would do regional competitions, cooking competitions, and let this program called Skills USA Vika. Um, still in touch with the director of that. Um, you know, sometimes go and go and judge competitions for high school students. So it was a really good program to be involved in. And what was the name of that program again? It's called Skills USA Vika, and yes, Denise Baxter is still an ambassador for the program and and recruits uh, local chefs around the area to go judge, um, especially if we've gone through the the program. Mm -hmm. And where was your first restaurant job? My first restaurant job was a catering company in uh, Knoxville, Maryland, so I would you know, ride my bike there after mm-hmm. school or on the weekends. And I was just a prep cook. So, you know, I would do things like make cheese platters and meat trays and crack a bunch of eggs. Uh, of course, you know, because it's Maryland, I picked a lot of crab for crab cakes. Um, and my chef there, uh, Rob Remsberg, he told me that if I really was serious about being a chef, I had to go to the CIA when I did America. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And that's what I made my next goal. I mean, when you start at a lower level in a restaurant, which I guess, you know, being involved in food prep um, might be, do you see a path forward? I mean, is there a a step up ladder that you are looking towards? Yeah. So I think that it's, there's something to be said for trying to get jobs with the best people you can within your vicinity. So there's a little bit of like, I guess you could call it dues that you might, you know, want to pay if you really want to excel. Cause when you work for the right people and make the right networking connections, you can really kind of open a lot of doors in that sense. But the food industry itself, like, you know, it's, it's not for the faint <laughs> of heart if you're going to be doing a lot of prep work and things like, you know, I would, um, I would do prep in the morning and then uh, go travel with the, the teams to serve the food at night and, you know, switch uniforms and then bust the tables and you really have to be willing to, um, you know, absorb kind of a lot of physical labor and things like that to be able to, you know, climb the ladder. So I think it's, important to know, especially if you go to culinary school too, you're putting yourself back in, in the bottom rung. Because um, mm-hmm. it, is, it is a bit competitive, so you know, you just have to hang in there and um, try to keep your head down and focus, and when you work on something, you know, if it takes you 20 minutes the first time, try to do it in 15 minutes the next time. It's, uh, it's a good way to show that you're 
um, challenging yourself. So what was your first job coming out of the CIA? Well, I was very lucky. (laughs) Um, I did my externship at Restaurant Danielle in New York City, and that was just very um, lucky circumstances. I met the coordinator for the externship program at school during the career fair. I applied, went back for a couple of stages, and um, the timing worked out, and they, they offered me a position as an extern. So that was four months in the middle of uh, the curriculum at the CIA. And then I just kind of kept my foot in the door. Um, Mm -hmm. I would go back on weekends sometimes, help with banquets, catering events there. You know, it was only an hour and a half drive from the kids' feet. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated, I just went right back to the restaurant and was a cook. What was it like working at such a high-level restaurant? Well... I think that the way that I looked at it was, you know, I was, let's see, I was a teaching assistant first, so I guess I skipped a step there, but I was a teaching assistant at the school after I finished my degree, which is approximately one year, and I still, you know, I would go back and help out on the weekends. So I knew that, you know, I would be um, uh, starting from the bottom again, so, you know, I was on, like, the garbage canopy station to begin helped in the catering, and then just knew that I'd have to work my way up. I think it, you know, those type of places, there's people that are trying to work there, and a lot of times they're even offering the work for free, um, mm-hmm. at least, you know, uh, 11 years ago when I started there. And, um, you know, it's just kind of like a, something that someone said to me before I started my externship was, the only thing you need to know is just keep your head down, and the only thing you need to say is, yes, chef. <laughs> and I, I applied that to pretty much everything because I, I grew in the company, you know, over the little bit over a decade that I worked there. And you never say no, right? Like, if you're not sure, it's I'll find out. Or it's yes, chef. And then you just, you know, pretend like you know what you're doing until you get it right. So that's, the attitude that I had. That's actually good advice probably for any job. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Now, was it easy to find mentors as you went along? Yeah, I think it's also, you know, the typical sort of brigade system or the the European approach is um, based on mentorship. Uh, A lot of times people don't even go to culinary school. Like uh, when a chef feels like the student has learned enough in their kitchen, they might send them to their other chef friends to be able to continue to learn. Um, for example, when I was at Danielle, um, Danielle, of course, is my mentor. I, I grew a lot. He gave me a lot of responsibility, which I'm very thankful for. But in 2009, no, 2008, um, he was really, really generous and, and sent me to go do a stage in France at Michel Bra. So it's almost like a, um, like an unspoken kind of, uh, idea that, you know, the chefs are um, happy to have loyalty, but they're also, like, really willing to invest in you if you're, if you're loyal to them as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that you did a stint at something called Cork Buzz. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, Cork Buzz is a wine bar and uh, with a full menu. There's one in Chelsea Market, 
there's one in Union Square and also in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was there for a bit to kind of, I don't know, stretch my culinary ideas um, in between when I was at Danielle and working uh, for Crea. And it was um, really fun, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was in the Union Square location, I would, you know, get off the subway station, go to the farmer's market, pick up you know, whatever looked good and then turn it into a special that night. So mm-hmm. still a very popular um, neighborhood spots for sure. So let's talk a little bit about sous vide. Can you explain to our listeners exactly what that is, what method of cooking it is? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So sous vide is French for under vacuum, um, but really sous vide has ancient roots. If you look at it, you know, as the common idea of like doing cooking low and slow with, like, minimal to no vapor escaping. So you have products that are, like, maximum tenderness, juiciness, beautiful flavor because there's nothing coming out. You have it protected in a pouch. And examples of this, like, with, you know, historical roots, you can do confit, you can do uh, cooking in a tagine for Indian food or, like, a dough with French food. It's the same sort of idea, like, low and slow, really delicious. Um... And typically we're cooking at temperatures that are below the temperature in which you lose the water holding capacity of the cellular structure. So if you do something like a long graze, you can add a little bit more time at that lower temperature and you're breaking down the collagen and gelatin and all those beautiful things that give you like a nice mouthfeel. Um, but it's also super juicy because you're not, you know, simmering or boiling it. Mm-hmm. And CV really applies to like really any technique. But the whole idea is it's protected in a pouch. It's cooked in water because water is the best transfer of heat. And it's cooking with precision. One of the things that surprised me uh, when uh, we were at Cuisine Solutions is uh, how many places are serving food that is supplied by Cuisine Solutions that we didn't really know about. Um, you know, it's being uh, obviously the the egg. Uh, what are they called? The egg bites at uh, mm-hmm. Starbucks, but also, I mean, I went on the Costco website, and there are many things being sold there um, from that are sous vide from Cuisine Solutions. So, has it taken a long time to get that going? Has that been available for a while now? Well, um, some of our largest um, you know, customers that we have for cuisine solutions will incorporate it into their menus for a very long time, um, Panera being a good example. So, you know, Cuisine Solutions um, is a longstanding company. There's always a cycle of uh, different collaborations that we have, um, starting with, you know, large uh, food scale and even military, actually, is one of the first accounts that we had. Um, and I say we, it wasn't really me. <laughs> in the 90s before I started working for the company, but... Um, yeah, there's, it's it's interesting. We kind of like to say, like, perhaps you've had our products and never even realized. Exactly. Um, so, yes. And, and we're looked to as a resource uh, to be able to have something, like, precise and consistent. And, you know, the company is still growing and um, international now. So, um, yeah, it's a really great great time to, to be at Cuisine. Well, also looking around online on Amazon and, and other online uh marketers, the equipment you can buy now if you want to do this as a home cook. Uh, is that a recent thing? 
Yeah, so I think that um, sous vide is, you know, the idea of sous vide has been around forever. Like people have, uh, you know, um, slow cookers at home, for example. Um, but the actual equipment that is available to use sous vide um, as the technical way of cooking in the pouches, um, that's been made available in the past 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like any any other manufacturing type equipment. Um, usually things will start in manufacturing and then they get introduced to restaurants and then you can get it at home. And home is usually the last step for cooking techniques that start on a large scale, like um, blenders or pasta machines, um, combination steam ovens, et cetera. So it was really just a matter of time. Tell us a little bit about your work at Crea, uh, how you are... Uh, training chefs. I mean, I, I find that fascinating that uh, uh, it's almost become a place that chefs have to go to learn more about these techniques. Well, Cray is definitely the top resource for, for chefs around the world. Our chief scientist, Bruno Gusto, pioneered the technique, and he's almost like on speed dial for any three-person-starred mm-hmm. chef in the world. Like, uh, like I want to make this you know, what's your advice? And they call it Bruno. Um, but we offer courses that are three days long in the fundamentals of sous vide. And it's almost like um, anything else. Like if you want to learn the traditional way to cook something, you need to learn the fundamentals. Like I need to know how to make hollandaise and then I can make all the derivatives. Or um, if you're building a, a song, you know, like you learn the basic notes and then you can build your symphony. Like it's really just a very... Um, fundamental things that you need to know and we go beyond that we go into the scientific theory of why you're doing the things the way you are a lot of times chefs that are um you know second or third generation having learned from somebody that learned from bruno like they'll they'll get recipes handed down or something like that and then they're not quite sure exactly why they're doing it that way and things get a little bit you know tweaked here and there so a lot of times when we have uh professional chefs come in for the course they'll say Oh, I had no idea why I was doing it this way before. Like, wow, I really need to go back and, um, you know, revise the techniques and uh, temperatures that I've been using. So we usually split it up. We'll do seafood one day, meat one day, vegetables one day. And every single day we have lecture on scientific dairy as well. I think one of the things I found surprising was the taste test with the vegetables because uh, you wouldn't think there would be that much difference in taste, but it was really quite remarkable. Um, and that's because the method holds in the flavor and the, the nutrients. Yeah, that's exactly right, Charlene. So if you think about, um, any other method like boiling or frying, anything like that, you'll see that the water is, maybe changing color or you start to get flavor in the water. And that's because like all of the flavors are escaping. Um, another thing that can happen is when you're cooking at higher boiling or frying temperatures, you're rupturing the, the like outside structure of the um, product. So you get kind of like a mushy flavor. It's hard to, or texture, it's hard to really control um, a way to not overcook the vegetable. Um, so, Cooking vegetables sous vide, you know, it takes more time because you're at a lower temperature, but the, the difference in flavor, aroma, um, and, it, and sometimes color can be um, enhanced depending on the product if you if you cook it sous vide. And, you know, if you, I, I think you might remember the carrot side by side, yes. like 
there's boiled carrot and there's like sous-vide carrot and it's really hard to even, you know, compare because it's just night and day. Well, also, once you cook something with sous vide, you can keep it for a while, right? So if you're, you know, a working person and, you know, want to come home and cook something fresh, you can take something you've, you know, done through the sous vide method and then just put it in a dish and whether it's a salad or something that you cook. Isn't, isn't that right? Yes, that's 100% correct. Um, a lot of people will do sous vide recipes that, come along with the equipment that they purchase. That is a scenario where you're cooking something to eat and then you're eating it right away. So there's no time in between when you cook it and eat it. But we really recommend, um, and even for home cooks, don't always consider this, to cook your products in batches, right? Like say you have a large uh, bunch of parsnips that you just got from, from the market. Um, cook it to eat and then keep it in the pouch after it's done cooking. And what you have there is improved food safety on the product and also shelf life because it's staying in the pouch from the point when it was cooked to the um, internal temperature that you're looking for. So any bacteria can't contaminate it again because it's still sealed in the pouch. You also have less oxidation. Um, you know, it's, the oxidation is blocked or slowed down. Um, and the temperatures that we would teach, you know, where the... Um, you know, vegetative forms of the pathogenic bacteria are destroyed. So, perfectly safe. And in most cases, uh, if you cook the product to eat and you chill it properly, you do have to chill it within a six-hour period. It's really important to refrigerate your temperature. But if you chill it properly, you're increasing your shelf life by at least three times what you normally would have. Now, AJ, you did a lot of work at one point with, um, excuse me, uh, with um, the safety of food. Is that correct, that you were um, making sure that the sous vide method did produce food that was safe? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, CREA um, has been doing studies on the safety of sous vide for a very long time, since the, the early 80s at least, and that was performed by, by Dr. Dusso. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had a couple of reports that have been published showing the, you know, um, safety of the products. And he even advises uh, cuisine solutions as the chief scientist in food safety matters. So we always keep that into account. If we're working on a product, say for our consulting wing, um, you know, we do, you know, shelf life studies and bacterial counts and making sure that what we're advising is perfectly safe. And the stuff that we, we teach in the course, that certainly is. Mm-hmm. So should home cooks be concerned at all about using sous vide? I mean, there's certain things that they have to follow to make sure that their food is safe. The only thing that I would recommend is if you're planning on keeping it for a while, just make sure you chill it well. Okay. And that's really the only concern. So um, you wouldn't, you would probably want to add in a step where you're chilling it in ice water before you put it in a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. So if it's a juicy meat or a fish, we always recommend you start um, cooling um, in what we call a three-stage process. So you let it rest for a little bit um, at ambient temperature, and this allows the flavorful liquids that are kind of like flowing in and out of the product as it's cooking to get reabsorbed. You can think of it the same way as you would do a rib roast, right? So Mm -hmm. um, you're cooking a rib roast, you let it rest for a little bit before you carve it because it's kind of, um, you know, soaking back up the the 
juiciness and kind of making it more even. Um, and then we would, you know, put it in cold water and then in ice water. So as long as you're chilling it to the core, what would be like refrigerator temperature uh, within a six-hour period is perfectly safe. And what that's doing is inhibiting the opportunity for any spore growth. So that's the only thing. Like, cooking sous vide at home is perfectly safe, especially if you're going to just eat it right away. A lot of people do that when they do steak yeah. um, or, you know, fish or something like that. But if you're going to chill it and hold it, make sure you chill it within a safe time period. Would sous vide ever be used in the fast food industry? I mean, slow cooking, fast food? Um... You know, I don't, I don't uh, do nothing fast food to really, like, say what may or may not be sous vide, but it's very possible that fast food industries are purchasing products that are sous vide before it reaches their facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that there are some new concepts that have launched in New York City that are sort of like uh, ordering at a kiosk, kind of paperless-type situations where they're having sous vide food. But considering the fact that sous vide is typically low and slow, it would be hard to cook sous vide to order, if that's maybe what you're um, well, asking. Was, but You know, just wondering, you know, like if we would see McDonald's using sous vide, like, you know, at some point in the future to make juicier, I mean, more tasty hey, if McDonald's sous vide their hamburgers before they serve yeah, them, I'd, I'd be all for it. <laughs> you never know, right? For sure. <laughs> yeah, sous vide burgers are delicious, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, AJ, in this era of uh, Me Too, and of course there's been a lot uh, written about the restaurant industry and women who work in the restaurant industry, and some are speaking out about uh, sexual harassment in the workplace. What advice would you give uh, to a woman who wanted to work in this industry? Yeah, you definitely can't avoid this topic these days. Uh, i discuss this a lot with, like, my female colleagues or chefs that I used to work with. Um, And I think really in the food service industry, you just need to check your gender at the door. I wouldn't let any potential for mistreatment dissuade anyone from doing something that you love. Um, Because really regardless of your sex, you know, if you're still learning and growing, you just have to keep in mind, you know, keep your head down, keep trying to move faster, be more precise. And, you know, regarding advice, you know, I would actually maybe think about asking that in a different way because, you know, if you ask what you'd advise, like, another female chef, it's almost like assuming some of the responsibility um, is her problem to manage um, because really in reality, like, harassment can exist anywhere for women or men. Um, and I think it's really everyone's responsibility to shine on a light on the situation when they happen. Because um, if you don't do that every single time, it's hard to see any change or, or shift in the culture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's very interesting. Well, AJ, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Um, every time I talk with you, I learn a little bit more about Suvi. I, um, we didn't mention that you do have that magazine, uh, even though you don't have a cookbook yet. Is that correct? Um, we do not have a cookbook, but uh, Bruno did write a introduction in Thomas Keller's Under Pressure book, mm-hmm. so there's a little bit in there. Um, and the fifth issue of our magazine was just released last week, right. so go pick it up. We have it at Whole Foods, Costco, um, and you can order it online as well. 
Well, I did visit my daughter in Atlanta two weeks ago, and uh, she is into sous vide, so I brought those magazines down for her, and she's already going through them and figuring out what she's going to cook next. So, uh, that Yeah, this one's a great one. There's a lot of seafood and veggies, which is nice, because right now we're in the three vegetable season coming up. So. Well, and the photographs are beautiful. They really do make it yeah. to uh, cook. So always, for sure. Always a for good sure. thing. So, AJ, thank you so much uh, for being with us. And, uh, again, I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town, and we've been talking to AJ Schauer about Cuisine Solutions, CREA, and sous vide cooking.